Sitting here with Danny Furnace talking about part two of the Max Brand book. Gunman's Bluff. Gunman's Bluff. Yeah, we talked about the homoeroticism. <laughs> uh, you can see all the cliches in it, though, which I think is, is kind of like, you can see the classic nature of it, but also... Sure, sure. I mean, uh, these dudes are, uh, like in cowboy stores, these guys are out there with just, just they're alone. Out in the wilderness, out on the range for a long time, they're bathing in the same creek. Like, you know. Just... I want to know where they get all their bullets. <laughs> you never, you never hear about them. They're like, oh shit, I ran out of bullets. Well, yeah, all right. Yeah, ammo. Right. Okay, so it seems like this kid is really named Cheyenne. Was Jones went to the doctor? Mm-hmm. Maybe we'll see the doctor again. Very, very capable gunfighter. Right. Been, been, uh, been winged a bit. Yeah. All right. But now he's got all these enemies. And, and and a bad wing. Yeah, yeah. All right? Yeah. You read it before, right? Yeah. yeah all right, yeah, don't yeah. spoil it for me. Oh, yeah. Uh, you ready to get started? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. I'm all ears. All right, Gunman's Bluff, part two. Outside in the street, Sideways was still waiting for him with her head high. The gray mare pricked her ears in welcome now and came toward him as far as the tethering rope would let her. The lines of her beauty and her strength filled his mind as a fine tool fits the hand of an artisan. But above all, he loved to see the wild brightness melt out of her eyes when she looked at him after an absence. Well before he was safely off this range, he might need all the windy speed of her galloping hoofs, all of the strength of her heart. He should, he knew, get out of town at once. Yet he could not start until the shoe that had loosened on her right forehoof was tightened. He untied the rope and she followed him across the street, making sure that he was indeed her master by sniffing at his hand at his shoulder and at the nape of his neck. He would have smiled at this persistent affection, but the dread of people for the first time was clotting his blood and numbing his brain with fear. Every window seemed an eye that stared at him and perceived instantly that he was not what he had been. His height and his weight were what they had been before, but he was a shell that contained no substance, a machine whose power could not be used. His right hand was gone. He passed through the open double doors of the blacksmith's shop into the pungent, sulfurous clouds of blue smoke that rolled away from the fire, beside which the blacksmith was swaying the handle of the bellows up and down with the sooty weight of his arm. The smithy, who was big and fat, wiped the sweat from his forehead and left a smudge behind. He was so hot and so fat that grease seemed to distill with his sweat. Chewing all around, he asked, just tighten up the right foreshoe, said Cheyenne. He started to make a cigarette, but suddenly changed his mind and crunched the wheat straw paper inside his left hand, letting the makings dribble on the ground. For no man must be allowed to see the brainless clumsiness of his touch. He stood at the head of the mare, saying to the smith, Be easy with her. Move your hand slowly or she'll kick your head off. The blacksmith, with the forehoof of the mare between his knees, was pulling off the loose shoe, wrenching it from side to side. The gray flattened her ears and breathed noisily out of her red-rimmed nostrils until a word from Cheyenne quieted her. The smoke was rising to the soot-encrusted rafters, and the slanting sun began to illuminate the interior of the shop, which was why the newcomer who had just stepped in from the street looked to be more shadow than human. But Cheyenne sensed the danger even before he recognized the man, a fellow with wide, heavy jaws and narrow, squinting eyes beneath a sloping forehead. It was Turk Melody. He had been a great friend of Buck Wilson who, only three months before, had made his play to win a great name by matching draws with Cheyenne. 
He had not wanted to kill that wild young fool. He had put a bullet through Buck's hip, but the bullet had glanced upward and Buck had died, despite the doctors that Cheyenne had brought to him. Turk Melody had not been present at the time. He had arrived only in time to look at the dead man and to swear, with his right hand raised, that he would avenge Buck the first time he met Cheyenne. It was a public statement. That was the trouble with it, for men who make public statements on the range often have to die for them. Turk, as he saw Cheyenne, snatched at his gun, and Cheyenne did nothing. Lightning messages were ripping from his brain to his right hand and back again. His right hand twitched, but that was all. Even if he pulled the gun before he was dead, he knew that he would not be able to hit a target with it. Frosty cold invaded him. The back of his neck ached with rigidity. His stomach was hollow. Something like homesickness troubled his heart. It was then he realized that he was afraid. He could thank God for one thing only, that the smile, however frozen, remained on his face. He was going to die. Turk Melody was going to kill him, driven on to action by the promise he had made to the world. The blacksmith felt the electric chill of the moment. He straightened suddenly and growled, Now what the hell's up? At that, Turk Melody cried, Fill your hand, Cheyenne. Damn you, fill your hand. His voice was a scream. It quivered up and down the scale and Cheyenne could see that his whole body was shaking. Fighting his own fear, Cheyenne walked forward slowly. You poor scared fool, he said. Your hand's shaking. I don't want to murder you, Melody. You get out of here before I start something. Shit. The eyes of Turk Melody widened. His face drained of color, became white and drawn. Then his glance slowly wavered to the side and found the blacksmith. It was pitiful, as though he wanted advice, and the blacksmith gave it. If this here is Cheyenne, said the smith, don't you go and make yourself a dead hero. Go on away and wait till you grow a bit. The right hand of Turk Melody left his gun. The gun sank slowly, as though reluctantly, into the holster. And then Turk turned his back and walked out of the shop, leading his horse. He had turned his back on praise. He was walking into scorn and infamy. No more sense than a mule, that Melody, said the blacksmith. Cheyenne said nothing. He could not speak. His tongue was frozen to the roof of his mouth, and he dared not turn around at once, for fear that the blacksmith might see the departing shadow of terror on his face. There you have it. Uh, that's Danny Furness reading yet another... <clears throat> there you have it. That's Danny Furness reading yet another part of Max Brand's Gunman's Bluff. Thanks so much for listening, folks. And one more thing before you go: if you want to leave Danny or any of the other staff uh, just a little bit of little little bit of something in the tip jar to show your appreciation, if you like what you're hearing, then please go to Venmo or Venmo.com and look for the Cottonmouth Club staff. That's the Cottonmouth Club dash staff, and throw a buck or two in the tip jar. All money goes directly to the staff to support them in this time when none of us are working, but we're working hard to make this content for you. So next up. Another part of Gunman's Bluff read by Danny Furness. Uh, keep listening to Danny read Gunman's Bluff. Next part's either up now or coming soon, and we will see you uh, next time. Thanks so much. Take care of each other, and again, thank you. <laughs>